everyone, and welcome back to Canopy Cast. I am one of your co-hosts, Michael O'Connor, joined by my two other co-hosts, John Michael Price and Christopher McGurn. And today we are joined by a very special guest, Mr. Colin McIntosh, founder and CEO of Sheets and Giggles. Colin, how are you doing today? I'm good, and we're we're also joined by um my dog Harvey, who just climbed onto the couch. Right oh now. my god! Two guests in one episode. That, there yeah. you go. <laughs> but I'm doing I'm doing good. Thanks. I, I appreciate. I'm sure you've never no. There's no other special guest in the show's history, so it's, uh, it's nice to be nice to be unique. Yeah, I I, I gotta ask right off the bat, real quick. You know, like people have uh, crazy names sometimes. Sheets and giggles. Is that how you pronounce it? I I just want to double check. Sheets and giggles, just just the way the the, just the way the shirt says. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's it's not where my mind went. I just want to double check. You know, I got I got to get out of the gutter. But no, no. So that's I mean that's the idiom, right? Is is shits and giggles, and so. It's actually yeah, the yeah, whole yeah. reason, one of the reasons why we chose the brand name is because the whole industry is so, so incredibly boring. Um, <laughs> and so it just bores me, bores me to tears. You can only see white sheets on a white wall with a French press coffee on the side of the bed so many times before you want to blow your head off. And so uh, basically the brand name, you know, stems from the idiom shits and giggles, which means, you know, just for fun, for no reason, just because. And yeah. so it gives a lot of like leeway with the brand voice where you know, I think the most successful piece of content we've ever done was a resume template that went super viral on Reddit that's been downloaded about 2 million times. And the blog post basically said, you know, why is a bed sheets company writing about resumes? And it's like, oh, would you rather us talk about thread count? Like go Google that and then come here for like other content if you want <laughs> interesting content. Um, so yeah, so it's been, it's been a fun, a fun brand to build for sure. That's I love amazing. it. <laughs> That's amazing. Just to just to give our, our listeners and viewers just the kind of backstory, I'd love to hear from you, you know, where you've come from, where you are now and where you're going. It's just like what's what's life been like for you? What's been the experience with Sheets and Giggles founding it and running it now? I have no idea where I'm going. I don't think any of us know where we're going. It's <laughs> we just we just made it to the second half of twenty twenty and I'm like encouraging everybody to like hit save, like, you know, like <laughs> uh, uh, but so I, I think, um, I think in terms of where I've been, I, so I, uh, a little bit about me, I just turned 30 years old three weeks ago. Um, so I'm on the other side of wise, which is nice. Um, I, uh, started my career eight years ago, coming out of Emory university business school at a hedge fund called Bridgewater associates, um, which is actually the world's largest hedge fund. Um, and I got fired in like five months. Um, and for those out there listening who have gotten fired at 22 from their first job, kind of feels like the whole world is eroding, um, beneath you. And I didn't really know what I was going to do. I ended up becoming a recruiter at the company that actually hired me at the hedge fund. So ironically, I began recruiting for the fund as well as other funds, banks I began recruiting for, um, you know, startups, Bessemer backed startups and other really great VC backed startups. And, um, that's how I kind of taught myself about tech startups and I teach myself everything I know about software and, and, and firmware and hardware. I was recruiting engineers mostly. And I ended up hiring myself at one of my clients in Seattle, uh, which is a B2B SaaS startup. I hired myself for a biz dev role out there, moved to Seattle from Connecticut. And then about a year and a half later, moved to Boulder, Colorado for a program called Techstars with a company that I helped co-found with my friends. Um, and then two and a half years after that, we all got laid off at 1 p.m. on a Monday. And uh, I wasn't CEO of that company. And I kind of 
was had a chip on my shoulder about how things ended. Um, and so three weeks after I got laid off, I founded Sheets and Giggles in October 2017. And I've officially worked at my own company longer than any other stop in, in my career. So it's kind of a quick backstory. That's fantastic. Well, I don't know how quick it was, but it's a backstory. That actually raises some really interesting questions for me, uh, specifically surrounding uh, Techstars and, and that startup with the, the friends that you mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. that's the, just to make sure, you know, I'm not confused. That's the company you got laid off from, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I, so, I was, I was just had a business that I wasn't on the, on the board or anything. So, yeah. Okay. So I was going to ask, you know, w- without, you know, bringing up too many bad memories, anything like that, what was, <laughs> what was that progression like of going through Techstars, founding that company and, and like, how did you kind of find yourself in that position, you know, for some people listening in that, that might not want to follow in the, the same footsteps? Well, to be specific, I wasn't a founder of the company. I was on the founding team that went through Techstars in 2015. And so I was a 25-year-old kid. I didn't know anything about consumer electronics. It was, it was an IoT device, a wearable technology. Um, and I was tasked as a 25-year-old kid with no retail or consumer electronics experience to go close deals with, you know, Target and Brookstone and Best Buy and, you know, T-Mobile and all sorts of other folks. And um, we did. We closed deals with with all those people, and we had nationwide retail presence. We raised millions of dollars. And um, there's it's a long, long, long story. Um, but the things I learned, I guess I can say, I mean, we all got laid laid off at one p.m. on a Monday, which is you know, I mean, that's a funny day. We get we went to the happy hour down the street. This Mexican cheap Mexican restaurant just got absolutely obliterated on margaritas. Um, <laughs> And that was when I first started telling my friends about Sheets and Giggles, and they thought I was insane, which, you know, to be fair. Um, and so uh, basically, the things I learned were about the importance of gross margin, the importance of uh, supply chain vertical integration, and, and not having components spread out across the globe. Um, I learned the importance of clear communication amongst team members, uh, proper inventory planning, not backloading in the Q4. Um, I learned the importance of of having a, a product that wasn't, you know, mostly a gifting product. Um, and, you know, the bottom line is that I basically took all the hard lessons that I learned about that company, which is a really wonderful company with a great mission. We wanted to end sexual assault and fight sexual assault and violence with wearable technology. It was like a Fitbit that if you pressed it, it would send out an emergency alert and live location data. And I learned that I loved having a mission like that, which played into the sustainability aspect of Sheets and Giggles and, and why we use eucalyptus lyosol for our fabric instead of cotton. But the lessons that I learned were, okay, when I start my own company, I want it to be a massive commodities market so I don't have to build the customer myself. I want it to be a highly fragmented market with no clear market leader. I think the top five betting companies in the U.S. own like 27% of the market combined, so super fragmented. I wanted something that was largely traditionally physical retail so I could bring it online with a direct-to-consumer model. Um, And then I also wanted something that had a lower complexity supply chain. And don't get me wrong, textiles especially this particular fabric it's an extremely delicate ecosystem and it's a very it's a very scientific process to manufacture but it's not bluetooth firmware having software engineers on staff uh needing to purchase tooling soft tooling hard tooling like it's a completely different supply chain and that was very purposeful um and then i wanted something that was sustainable and had a mission behind it and i also wanted something that was a very flat boring space so i could kind of zig where everybody else was zagging because the space that what I was in prior, if you hear me describe it, it was like a very serious, deathly serious space 
And so I never got the right copy for the company, which is kind of ironic because I write almost all the copy for Sheets and Giggles, or at least I, I have traditionally. Now we have a content marketing manager. But, you know, when I think about the irony there, my team never let me touch the copy for my last company. And now I think we've won awards for our copy. <laughs> but it was because like, I couldn't be funny with it. It had to be so serious. So I really wanted something that was like, like I could be funny with as well. So those were the lessons I learned when it fell apart that I have applied to sheets and giggles, I think is more actionable maybe for, for people. Mm. That's fascinating. How, how did, how did you initially, you know, what, what originally brought on the sheets idea? Was it, was it <laughs> a struggle with your, like your own, like, man, these are too expensive or these aren't good enough. He just hates cotton someone sheets. Else. What was the original? Cotton, you know, so cotton sheets are what I call legacy product. I mean, if you're sleeping on cotton, just, you know, come on, what year is it? Um, but so, so basically I, I, so I listened to how I built this podcast maybe a month ago or so with um, the founder of one of our competitors, guy, guy who runs Brooklyn and, and his wife, uh, they, 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 both, they both run Brooklyn and I apologize, they're co-founders. And um, I, I kind of laugh because like maybe their story is true. Maybe it's not, I don't mean to kind of, kind of, you know, be flipping about their experience or like, you know, say that it's not true, but it's like, we went to a hotel and we sat down on the sheets and we were like, we love these sheets. And then we found out how expensive they were. And we were like, there has to be a better way. And I'm like, that can't be how it happened. Like who, like who goes to a hotel, sits on the sheets and then decides to found an entire company. I can't, I can't believe that. I think that's like, anyway, so I, maybe it's true, but anyway, so I basically, for me, it was, it was um, twofold. And I swear to God, this is a true story. I was watching War Dogs with Miles Teller and Jonah Hill. And I was watching in like June 2017. And Miles Teller's character has a pickup truck that he's selling bed sheets out of the back of to retirement communities. And they keep telling him like, these are too nice of sheets. We wouldn't buy these for our people. Like they can't, you know, they don't have a need for sheets this nice. And I was watching a movie with my now ex-girlfriend. She's my ex because I'm fucking neurotic like this. I was like, this is ridiculous. I was like, this guy bought all this inventory. He didn't do any research, has no idea who his demographics are, didn't do any pricing. You know what? Pause the movie. And I wrote a business plan for a bedsheets company that night. And whenever I write a business plan for a company, I always buy a domain because I like, it's just a hobby. And it also makes it more real. And I was like, and I always gravitate towards what's a funny name for blank. And I said, what's a funny name for a bedsheets company? Sheets and Giggles, that's a funny name. And so I bought sheetsgiggles.com. And for four months later, I think I found the company. And I found the company because I had the idea in my head. I had the business model written out. I had the, the, I was so enamored with the brand and the idea and the company and the sustainability of the eucalyptus and everything that was, you know, coming together with it. And then when we got laid off, I think something just kind of snapped. And I told, I remember I told one of my former coworkers, I was like, I think I'm going to start a bedsheets company. And she, <laughs> I think her initial reaction was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like she was like, and I was like, <laughs> and so, and so anyway, it was, it was really truthfully, it was business model first. I was so enamored with this business model. And then I, w I became enamored with the product. And now, you know, I'm, I'm the guy in Denver for, you know, home textiles and bedding. And, you know, when we had the COVID crisis and still, you know, still ongoing, 
but when it started, Denver, the city of Denver was asking around who makes bed sheets in Denver because mm-hmm. we need we need our homeless shelters. We knew they knew they were going to have an influx of symptomatic individuals, and so they were building what they call respite motels, so these like isolated rooms for symptomatic homeless individuals. And they called me and they and they said, hey, we keep hearing sheets and giggles. The people we have to contact for bed sheets in Denver. And we gave about 300 and really 228 uh, all of our twin and twin XL inventory to uh, homeless shelters. Mm. It's a small, small amount of our uh, sales. We gave it all to them. And I, you know, the fact that I started a company based off of a pun that I thought of one night in the middle of a movie. <laughs> and then, you know, three years later, the city that I love is like calling me and asking me to help with this crisis. And then on top of that, we get we donated twenty percent of our sales for thirty days back in March in the beginning of this. We ended up donating about forty grand to Colorado COVID nineteen emergency relief. And so, you know, it's a long winded way of saying like why I started the company, but I started it for fun and for the fact that it was, you know, a really you know compelling business model and compelling product. And now it's just something that's really become like a big part of my life and and something that I I absolutely love doing every day. Mm. so little i think i can't believe i just opened that answer with shitting on brooklyn i really respect the company that they built i i'm just <laughs> i'm just saying it's very foreign to me to like yeah. to say like you know how'd you start your company they went to a hotel and i was like oh my god anyway so yes i had a lot of coffee i had a lot of coffee today <laughs> i was gonna say you're, you're i think you're the first person I've ever heard to start a company from watching War Dogs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I hope arms dealer, you know? somebody who knows Miles Teller or Jonah Hill, like, please contact them and thank them for me yeah. for for their inspiration. You just, you just need to send them a pair of sheets. Like, I might do that. I might. They, yeah, like, I just gotta handwrite a letter and send them a pair of sheets and and say like, hey, thanks. I have a successful business because you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you can move, or your character. Your character is an idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Miles, Miles Teller is a genius. But yeah, his character, his character <laughs> is an idiot. Right, right. But uh, yeah, right. it's it's a cre- it's a bizarre founding story. I've never I've never met every other founder in Denver that I know. You know, why did you start your company? Oh, I had this problem, but I built this solution. And then like, you know, it's it's uh, it's the weird. Then they ask you, yeah. So I watched War Dogs. And- <laughs> 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 I remember that scene. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, hey, and then, and then a, a year. Yeah, I, I found it in October 2017, and then October October 2018, I think we won uh, first place at Denver Startup Week. Uh, mm-hmm. Came with a big old $95,000 styrofoam check, and it's a true story. If you go on our website, there's a picture of me in bed with that giant styrofoam check, which I've always I've always wanted to take a picture like that. It's an odd thing to always want to take a picture of, but um, yeah, yeah, paper cuts, real thing. Anyway, so can so yes. Yeah, I, 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 it's, it's so funny. I can definitely tell that your personality goes through the company because you know, just like look at your website, like the humor, it's great. One of my favorite things was the, the banner underneath the, the hero on your website, just breaking news, <laughs> we sell bedding. And I'm just like, so, oh my gosh. <laughs> so we came up with that because like, what, so actually that was Chris. That was my content manager. I love Chris. So, so I hired him like six months ago and I, I normally had written every word, every punctuation mark, everything you've ever read about sheets and giggles. I, I love writing. I love, and I, and so that was the hardest thing for me. The hardest thing possible was to give him that control. But truthfully, he's, he's extremely talented. He's a, he's a really gifted writer. And 
Um, I think the job description said, you know, you're still mad about getting snubbed from SNL and you write episodes of Seinfeld in your spare time, like apply for this job. And, um, and so I remember we saw like one of our competitors, like a banner that was like, you know, like breaking news, like duvet covers are back in or whatever. And I remember I just, I saw it and I was like, how's that breaking news? I was like, there's like a, there's a pandemic going on. Like that's not breaking news. And like, so that's kind of how we like came up with the sarcastic, like, you know, we sell bedding, we sell sheets. <laughs> yeah. People are like, why don't you talk about your, talk about the sustainability more? I'm like, yeah, people can find, people, people read, they'll find out about it. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's funny. One, yeah. one question I had for you, what, what's the biggest thing you've learned since starting? If there, if there is one thing you could say that like you've learned through this journey, what would it be? Uh, if you're shipping products via FedEx and UPS, do not choose white packaging. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is oddly specific. I love. Uh, it is oddly oh specific, but it's extremely, ready. it's extremely tactical. It's any any founders out there that are like, oh, I'm gonna make this like beautiful. It's gonna look like it belongs in an Apple store. Yeah, well, maybe you should sell through Apple then, um, and not your website. But so uh, that was a huge mistake. Um, FedEx is no regard for packaging, um, and uh, so. But then on a higher level, I think. Um, I think just like the way that we've raised money has been like very, uh, very different and very like specific. And I, and I talk to a lot of founders about this because people come to me and they're like, how would you raise, you know, millions of dollars for like a betting company, which is a fair question because like, I, I didn't talk to any investors when I started the company except for one, a friend of mine who also asked me what the F I was doing. Um, uh, because I just knew that no one would give me money for, for this idea. It was such a crazy idea. And, and so instead we just proved market traction every step of the way. And so we did a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo that ended up being, um, a $284,000 crowdfunding campaign. Proudest, proudest accomplishment of my entire life is convincing thousands of people to wait months for bed sheets. Um, and <clears throat> And, I, and, then I, and, I, and I, I'm being flippant about it. I love these people. I love our Indiegogo supporters. I like, I would walk over coals for anyone who purchased our product for, you know, 70 or 80 bucks when we launched on Indiegogo because they literally brought the company to life and I, we wouldn't exist without them. They brought my dreams true. And, um, you know, the, <clears throat> once we did that, you know, it became pretty straightforward to take that cash, start the company you know, spin up production, begin shipping, get a little thousand square foot warehouse space. I was in the warehouse every day myself packing boxes for three months when we started every single day. Um, you know, hired a couple buddies to get in there with me and help out. It was a lot of fun. We were, you know, just listening to the podcast and packing our orders and uh, during holiday 2018. And um, I think that the way that we've raised money has been just every step of the way to basically be like, we go to investors and we're like, hey, look, here are our numbers. <clears throat> Here's our, you know, I know every core KPI that like an investor is generally looking to see from a consumer brand. Like here's our cost of acquisition. Here's our conversion rate, our repeat buy rate. Here's our average order value. You know, here's our attachment rate when we launch a new product. Like here is, you know, the items per order, you know, the amount of bedrooms you have per household, like lifetime value calculation. Like, and, and that type of stuff is like, so when it becomes like very obvious and compelling for an investor to like give you their money, because you're basically not pitching them on, an idea, but rather you're saying, here's my current trajectory. By 12 months from now, this company will be making X dollars per month. 
I would like to take that two Y dollars per month. And I believe I can do that with a capital investment of Z and spend it in these specific ways. That pitch is so, so, so much better than I have an idea. Please give me money to bring it to life. And I see that pitch way, way, way too often. And so, um, you know, we, I think we, we, we didn't have, we had a little startup capital, like, um, I think we spent like 25 grand all in on the crowdfund um, to make about 300 back on it. Um, and so just lessons about like raising money, improving traction, and then being very upfront and specific with your investors about like your goals and, you know, why they should invest or why not if, you're, if their goals don't align with yours. So that way, you know, you're not, you're not setting expectations in a bad way. Yeah. <clears throat> and also so, so what what i took away from that is if you want off-white splotchy packaging to get delivered to your customers it does it, it comes it comes black by the time it gets to a customer was, i don't know what they do in transit i don't know what they do to it but so we so now so now our, our packages are all purple so this purple their logo on it some fun doodles and that's been lovely people people love our packaging in fact on amazon we have shameless plug 533 reviews as of this morning, four and a half stars. Um, only 6% are one star. Um, I think 80% are five star. And of our reviews, you know how on Amazon you can rank individual things like softness, lightweight, like value for money. The only thing that we still have a perfect 5.0 on, which means every single person has given us a 5.0 out of the 533 reviews that we have is presentation. And that, that is so key as another lesson that I would, I would hang my head on is basically, you know, telling any founder like perceived value is extremely important. So when somebody's opening up that packaging, how do you want them to feel? How do you want, do you, you know, you want to reaffirm that purchase and make them think like this was a good decision from the moment they open up that box. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Where did, where did the, you know, I guess uh, it seems almost like an extension of, you know, what you're telling, like the stories, like your personality, where do you think, you know, you first started having like the entrepreneurial personality to come up with the ideas to like, like you said, you know, immediately write a business plan. Like most people don't do that. Where did that come from? You know, where, like digging a little bit farther back. Where, where did that kind of start? I th okay, so I think that the there's a couple things there. One is that my parents are entrepreneurs. My sister is an entrepreneur. Like, my my whole family, um, you know, is basically like uh, my dad started a law firm. My mom started an acupuncture office. My sister is now an acupuncturist with my mom at the same office. Like, I grew up basically never like um, <laughs> I grew up basically always thinking like that working for yourself was like kind of normal. And, and I think that that actually showed me the importance of like upbringing and, and somebody's personality is like, I, it was never a doubt in my mind that one day, like my dad, like my mom, I would start a business and, you know, be self-employed. It was just never something that I, I really thought otherwise. And, and I think that the, the tricky part is that when you're young and you're, you know, you're, 20 or 21, 23, 25, and you don't have a lot of experience, it's really hard to like figure out why you'd want to start a specific company over another, what you're the best in the world at, you know, why you're the best in the world at X, Y, or Z, um, and how you can monetize it. And I think that a lot of people really struggle with that. And so I think that like, I've always had it. And then a specific trigger point in terms of like starting a company, I think everybody needs like an emotional 
trigger point. And for me, that emotional trigger point was getting laid off at 1 p.m. on Monday. And you can hear it the way I talk about it. It's still very raw, even almost three years later now, um, you know, by a company that I had devoted, you know, years of my life to. I moved from Seattle to Denver for this last company. I left behind friends who are lifelong friends who I love dearly in Seattle. I left my mid-20s behind out there and moved, moved to a new place. And to have it end so unceremoniously was so, um, so difficult. And so I think that you just have to have like a slight breaking point. And honestly, like, can I go on a rant for a second real quick? Yeah, yeah. So I, and I think especially it's right now, it's really triggering me, like with everything going on in the world where you have 40 million people that lost their jobs since March and they're losing their healthcare, right? And it's like one of those things where I think as an entrepreneur, you can only lose your paycheck and your healthcare simultaneously so many times. And I've been fired or laid off three times before you just decide, I never want to be dependent on anyone else for those two things ever. Um, and then secondarily, like the society that we build for ourselves is so messed up in so many specific ways when it comes to employment. Like how good somebody is at selling bed sheets should have no bearing on whether or not their child has healthcare access. Like it's the dumbest goddamn thing in the entire world that I could go to one of my employees and be like, Hey, I just want, you to know, like we had a bad quarter. It's not working out. We're going to have to like, you know, uh, you know, cut you from the team. I'm very sorry. Like, I love you. This has been great, but you know, you have to go. And then they have to decide they just lost their paycheck and they have 30 days or whatever it is. And I've been on Cobra for 18 months. I can't remember the exact time frame in terms of the decision making process but you have a finite amount of period of time where you have to decide, do I want to pay for Cobra? And if your company was covering 75% or 90% of your premiums, your premiums now go up 4X and 10X. And you have to, you just lost your main source of paycheck. And if you have all the pendants at home, like you have to now decide in the middle of the pandemic, do I continue paying these premiums and completely destroy my savings and try to get a new job ASAP and accept the first offer that I get, which might be the shittiest offer that you get, or, you know, do I go without healthcare for a period of months for my family and for my children? And I think that that type of mentality, it's so sick what we have in, in this country in terms of like tying that employment to your family's healthcare access, not even healthcare treatment, but access that I think that that to me is also a very emotional trigger point for, you know, when I did have to go on Cobra and I had to look at applying for unemployment. And I had to think about, you know, different things that I would do to pay my bills after I got laid off so suddenly without last week's paycheck, no severance. I got paid through 4 p.m. that day, like, and I had to buy back my laptop from that company, right? And like that, that shit will make you go crazy. Like, and, and I, and I think that that's where a lot of people, I have asked founders in Techstars, why'd you start a company, right? Why not a charity? If you have a mission, why not, you know, an open source project? Like why a company? And then number one thing that I always hear is because they're sick of having to rely on other people for both their marching orders and for their livelihoods. And I think that that's, that's a big piece of it for me. That's a powerful story. <laughs> it's, it's so true. Um, and sadly we are, we, oh my gosh, the time has flown by. We are, uh, we want to make sure we're respectful of your time as well. And we're getting close to, to time up. I want to give JM and Chris chances for any final questions as well, and you for any final questions for us. Um, just uh, one thing that I love uh, asking pretty much every episode 
what has been throughout your whole entire career one of your favorite experiences with either a, a client a coworker, employee employer anything like that but one of your one of your favorite experiences um throughout my career or through through the company uh either one in my career the best thing that was ever told to me was by one of my managers at my recruiting firm that i was at we got in this big fight um i remember we were whiteboarding his name is mike i love him he's one of my one of my good friends and mentors now and he was probably like 30 at the time or like late 20s and i was i was a uh, you know 22 year old 23 year old kid super brash and we got in this big fight about this search we were doing for this hedge fund and i had been working it for like two months and he was asking me to like change my strategy and da da. and this guy he's one of the smartest guys i've ever met he's a yale phd in theoretical biophysics and and you know here i am yelling at him that he doesn't know what he's doing and he's you know you get do it this way i've been doing the job for like six months <laughs> and he told me he was like look man if you don't trust me that i know what i'm doing you need to get a new job. And he's like, I'm not threatening to fire you. I'm not going to fire you. You do great work. And I love having you here. And I love having you on a team. But if you continually second guess your manager every time that push comes to shove, then that means that you don't think I know what I'm doing. And if you don't think that I know what I'm doing, then start your own fucking recruiting firm because otherwise you're going to drive yourself insane following orders that you don't agree with. And, and he's like, so for your own mental health, you got to find a new job. And that was like very powerful for me. I remember, I think I cried that day because I was so like, I was so, you know, just emotional. And um, I've used that with, with employees of mine at SNG and, and, you know, people that I've worked with in the past where it's like, if I'm your manager and you don't trust me when push comes to shove that I know what I'm doing, then why are you working for me? And it's not like a, it's not like a do what I say, otherwise like you're gone. It's like a go, go find another job with someone that you trust because like, I don't, I don't want for your own sake. I don't want you here, you know, second guessing every single thing your manager tells you to do. Um, and that doesn't mean I'm an overlord. Like I give my people a ton of autonomy. Um, but like, it does mean that if a decision comes down that they don't agree with, I mean, part of the relationship is that, uh, they have to trust me. So yeah, that's a, that's a really good piece of advice. I, I haven't heard anybody say that before, but I really like that a lot. Thanks. Yeah, it's good. If you're a manager out there and you have, you're getting a fight with your employees, tell them, tell them to get a new job. Otherwise, they're going to drive themselves insane. <laughs> yeah, it's really true, too. Yeah. No, that's great. My, my last question, a little bit on a random note, but what kind of dog do you have? It's a dog. Uh, Harvey's a little Jack Russell uh, dog to mix. He's going to bite me when I pick him up because he's chewing his bone. Hey. <laughs> wow. for, all our, for all of our listeners make sure to go on youtube so you can see this this adorable dog. <laughs> so, he, so, he, so he's if you go to sheetsgiggles.com slash harvey uh he has his own web page on our website and when oh, he's not yeah. chewing his bone when he's not when he's not chewing his bone he's much more amenable to me picking him up and moving him around but he's <laughs> he's mid midway through a new bone but yeah he's he's a good boy he's he we went on our first camping trip um ever actually which is weird because i've been in colorado for so many years and um we went about a month ago and he had the time of his life but man for a 13 pound jack he was beat by the time we got back uh <laughs> yeah he's a good boy do you guys do you guys have dogs uh, no i'm just, <laughs> i'm just cracking up because i went to the web page Oh, guys, if you, <laughs> chris and mike if uh the header of this is meet harvey VP of marketing. 
That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yes. Bar- marketing. Yeah, he made the uh, he made the, made the Furbs F U R B E S thirty thirty under three. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's one of my favorite favorite puns I come up with. Yeah, awesome. I'm still I'm still waiting for something to go viral on Reddit. I'm still we haven't had anything anything really. You know, I don't. I don't like the AstroTurf, so I don't post a lot of, like, our own jokes. But, like, I, I'm still waiting for somebody to be like, this company's hilarious, but we'll, maybe one day. We'll go do it. Yeah. <laughs> <I'll leave> it. <laughs> that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Thanks. Oh, that's great. Man. Well, everyone hey, – sorry, go ahead. I was saying, anything else you guys need? I mean, I've just – it's been super fun. I hope I hope I didn't go too off the no, rails. But, um, no. yeah, it was just yeah. great. Yeah, I'd just um, say for our listeners and viewers, go check Sheets and Giggles out. Go get some <laughs> <sheets>. <laughs> I'm telling you, the best sheets you'll ever sleep on. I, I would not I, – every night I go to bed in my own product, we've got thousands of reviews, and I'm just so enamored with the fact that this is my company and my product, sleeping it every night. Um, I feel very close to it, obviously. And, you know, the sustainability aspect, we didn't talk about it at all, but – we do use, um, you know, gobs less water and estimated thousand gallons less of water per bed sheet set than cotton sheets. No insecticides, no pesticides. Cotton uses like, a, you know, 16 or so percent of the world's insecticides by itself as a crop. We use less energy. Our stuff biodegrades faster than cotton. Um, and, you know, I, I just, for, for my money, you know, the coefficient of friction is lower. The breathability is superior. The moisture management's so much better. Hypoallergenic, zero static. The best stuff. Um, so if anybody out there is looking for sheets, sheets and giggles, you pull up the sheets, you'll find us, you'll find us out there. I, I just got one last question. I yeah. hate getting hot. Are, are they, are they sweat wicking and, and do they keep you cool? So I, I was at a barbecue on Sunday with some buddies and I, and I went on a rant about this cause I, I met somebody and they were like, so why, why are your sheets different? And I was really exactly the same question. So uh, I have a weird, weird conversations with barbecues on weekends. And so uh, <laughs> I, basically because it is a man-made fiber, right? Eucalyptus doesn't grow on the ground like cotton, like a fluffy cotton. You take the wood, you turn it into a pulp, and a pulp into a fiber, the fiber into a yarn. That filament of the sheet is perfectly symmetrical. It's like a perfect circle when you look at it under a micro- microscope. And what ends up happening is the moisture management, it'll take every drop of sweat or moisture that, that you hit the sheets with and it will spread it perfectly almost across the entire fabric. And that moisture management and that spreading is what helps it evaporate faster and also what helps it not pool underneath you, especially if you have a foam mattress or something like that foam is like huge with heat. So you're going to sweat underneath your back if you have a foam mattress. And so uh, our sheets will take that sweat, spread it evenly across every film and across the sheet, evaporate it. And you'll stay cool all night and you'll stay and it's just, it's the best stuff for summer. I actually, right now I sleep, I still sleep with our comforter on top of me, even though it's, you know, July in Denver, which is hot outside because it's, it's cool enough to sleep with. And I like the weight. Um, but yeah, it's fantastic for hot sleepers. We actually, the thing that I'm most proud of, I guess, one of the things is we have people with fibromyalgia, um, eczema, neuropathy, other chronic pain conditions and nerve conditions. And they tell us, they leave reviews and they say, your sheets are the only thing that get me through the night because I overheat because of X or my skin is too sensitive because of Y. And that is like the best feeling for me and something that I completely 
completely did not anticipate when I was starting the company. And it's been, it's been a wonderful uh, little thing to, to see pop up. That's there you awesome. go. Liquid I'm diversification. I, I'm, I'm waiting for the, the ad targeting for parents with kids who pee the bed. You know, save your mattress, okay. divers, diversify the liquid. Let me know when that comes out and I will share the crap out of that on every social media. I will. We're gonna, we'll do a mattress topper before long, I, I promise. We're, we got, we got some right, great new right. products coming down the pipe. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. This is great. I, I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, I'd love to talk again anytime. Yeah. 100%. Ladies and gentlemen, go give Sheets and Giggles some love. Colin, thank you so, so much for joining us, man. I appreciate you guys having me. I really do. It was great. And for all our viewers and listeners, we'll see you next time. Today's episode is brought to you by Kidcaster. Kidcaster books entrepreneurs on top podcasts. Get on-demand podcast placements scheduled for you by professionals for a flat monthly rate. Where are you in your entrepreneur journey? Validation? Launch? Traction? Scale? Wherever you are, podcasts will take you further. We ain't talking about small talk. We're talking about the good stuff. Real, actionable communication. Find out more and apply today at kidcaster.com. 